back to another episode of the Cactus Pit Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Drinks. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm Ryan, and this is our guest today, George Stallworth III, former Muay Thai fighter and head Muay Thai coach at Combat Club, Combat Co., uh, Darkside Muay Thai. Welcome to the podcast, George. Thank you guys for having me. Glad to be no here. No doubt. Absolutely, absolutely. Good to meet you. See you and Sean. Got you guys a couple of drinks. What do you got in the glass there, boys? Tequila! You know it. Actually, wait. I'm drinking ranch water. He's I, drinking I, tequila. I'm a tequila snob to some degree. Uh, but lately, I've turned in what my girlfriend calls a sparkling hoe. Mm. Damn. She's I like that. Okay. She's turned me on to Prosecco. Oh, and shit. And I think I'm getting addicted. <laughs> Prosecco. Is that, a, is that like a wine? It's a sparkling wine. Sparkling I'm gonna, wine. Get it right. It's not just a wine. It's a sparkling wine. It's a sparkling it's wine. Don't give me that fletch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've kind of gotten into that stuff as well. My palate's just been expanding in ways I did not think it would. I'm starting to enjoy stuff that I never thought I would. We're doing a uh, a rosé tasting in two weeks, and I'm just like, who am I? What's happening? <laughs> yeah, what, what is well, happening, dude? Is everything okay? Nope. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, I actually was in a wine mixing contest and won a wine tasting as a result. Damn. So that, that was interesting. I know nothing about wine. I don't know anything about wine either. Courtney, my fiance, does. She's like, she's actually going to Napa this Thursday. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to stay home? Okay, cool. <laughs> she's she's like, yeah, I'm gonna go enjoy some uh, crushing some grapes with the feet out in Napa. Is that how you guys did it? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. We were on a boat, strangely enough. But um, it was one of the. I'm trying to remember how I actually got invited into the the, the wine making, but the wine mixing. Um, sat through this lesson or whatever you want to call it. Big group of people. My girlfriend and I were running late. As a result, though, we got seated separately from everybody else who was in the wine mixing contest or whatever. Um, so we were catching some, some cross eyes because we got set, um, at, I guess, what would be a premium seat as a result, just from being late. Mixed up a couple of wines, drank some things, and she, she remembered a wine that her mom and her dad really loved. It was a mixture, I think, of Grenache and Chirac. You ever had it? No. I'm, a, I'm aware of what you're talking about, but my, I'm not super well-versed with when it comes to wine. I grew up in Oklahoma. So, um, okay. <laughs> on the boat they have uh, what they call sommeliers. These are like yeah. wine experts yeah. or whatever. So they were kind of, you know, giving us the, the, the spill on how to, how to do things. But they allowed us to mix and come up with our, our own specific wine. Um, then nope. they actually brought in the ship's captain um, and one or two other judges to judge everybody's wine. And this is out of a group probably of like 50 people. Yeah. And they chose our wines. Nice. Enough, so. That's right. George does know how to mix it up. I can confirm that for being on the mats with him. So, yeah, you know Ryan used to train with me, right? Yeah, he had mentioned that to me. And he was he was saying before you got here, he was like, you want to let George uh, kick you in the fucking <laughs> stomach? And I'm like, not sure if he's nasty, but had to, you know, use the restroom a couple of times. So I had a little bit too much fun. If you can't do the time, don't do the verb. How's it go? If you can't do the crime, you, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. So, anyways. If you, if you drink the wine, don't get Muay Thai kicked in the stomach. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so I'm, I ain't trying to get my ass kicked. Yeah, so so I actually met George back in 2019, I believe. Is that correct? It, it sounds about right. Somewhere off in there. I remember you walking into the gym for the first time. It's like, who's this knucklehead walking in the gym? <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you for uh, accepting me and all my madness. You know what? I remember when you walked in, and I thought to myself, 
I think I saw you hit in the bag or, or something like that. I was like, God, I need to help this kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually, he started training with. Did Ryan ever tell you he was actually on our fight team for quite some time? I think he probably did mention that to me, yeah. Still trying to get him his fight, though. Come on, man. It just, uh, you know, I was I was really gung-ho about it, and I was loving it, and George was really bringing me along and putting me through it with the guys, and we had a really good uh, camaraderie there, Yeah. you know, at the old uh, old gym, and then COVID kind of threw a, a wrench in the operation for everybody, really. Oh, you this know. is pre-COVID, okay. Yeah, pre-COVID. It's been a minute. And, uh, and dark side, but the team was strong and, and really good, and I, I remember when I walked in, I saw the guys, and I saw them training, I was thinking, like, yeah, I think I, I, think I know, know how to throw a kick pretty good. You know, and then I go through a couple of kicks, and George is like, "Your kicks are shit. Your kicks are shit." It was like, "You gotta, you gotta stop doing that. You know, do this, turn the hip over." So I mean, just the things that you you think you uh, can do, right? And then you go see somebody who's really a craftsman at it and really like knows the the intricacies and the ins and outs and the nuances of it all, and just the subtleties of stand this way, posture that way, turn this way. It's it makes so many changes in in the game and you know i'm grateful for that so thank you for bringing me along i can i can fight now so if anybody wants the smoke go to george don't get it from me ryan definitely is probably one of the most stubborn students i had <laughs> he's probably one of the what, what else would i say his kick was horrible i i'd like to think we helped get it better um he just he wasn't very flexible when i wanted him to be yeah but it, it's something we definitely had to work on we did we did but, I miss having you there. You need to come back and train. I love it. You know, I had to uh, I had to step away a little bit. You know, I had my daughter. Um, I was going to school. I was doing the shop. So I kind of dedicated all the time to kind of building that out. But, I mean, I still talk about Muay Thai and MMA every day, all the time. I'm still blessed to know you and have Danny and the guys from the team come and support and Zach over here, our audio guy. You know, that to me is like the, the biggest thing in martial arts. I just feel like it's a brotherhood of guys, and I really miss that aspect of it, you know. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't have any experience in you know that realm, but I can definitely appreciate the craftsmanship. Like Ryan was saying, it's really cool because I mean I've gone to uh, the only like gym. I guess I, I don't really know exactly what you would call it, like a fighting gym, if you will, was a uh, Fortis because my my fiance trains up there, and mm -hmm. uh, I went in there and I was like I, I instantly fell in love, and I feel like that's kind of like where my love of or. Maybe what spark a little say? interest. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. So that's where my interest of like just fighting came from. I'm Zach was talking about this earlier. I don't remember. It was like a hobbyist. I guess I'm more of a hobbyist, or I enjoy watching from afar. Not something that I actually want to do. So it's very interesting. I think it's cool as fuck that you do that. So I think you guys should come out and check it out sometime. So sure. Probably about twice a year we put on smoker events. These are like um, basically uh, unsanctioned fights to help fighters get ready for actual fights. Typically, they, they tend to be like in-gym in house smokers. So we contact another gym, say, who you got getting ready for a fight? We've got these guys, try to match them up, you know, age, height, um, fight experience appropriate, that kind of thing. But we've been doing we've been doing this now for a few years. Is it the barbecue something? It's barbecue. It's barbecue. Okay, yes. I've seen that. And yeah. so we, we, on occasion, from my form of podcast, we actually had the podcast come in and actually, um, I guess, run the show and so to speak, uh, nice. PA the whole nine. So it, love to have you guys on. And Let's do Ryan it. already knows I would for love the team to, anyway. So yeah. I would love to come in and do some like uh, podcast commentary on the guys. That would yeah, be fun. That would be great. Especially because, you know, George has got a good staple of fighters, you know. He's been at it for how many years now, George, have you been training? 
training um, pretty much all my life. Muay Thai specific, I would say probably since about 2014, 2013, somewhere off in there. Okay. Would you uh, would you tell the people kind of how you got started, what your lineage is, and mm-hmm. the source of where you got the Muay Thai uh, traditions and, and everything and kind of how it all came together and how uh, your fighting career kind of blossomed into you being a coach now and helping the younger guys make their way through this uh, amateur fight ring? Yeah. Um, I started as a child. Um, I was probably picked on, bullied a lot as a kid. And so my mom put me in karate. At the time, it was uh, Shotokan karate. Um, the particular school I went to was, was um, I didn't know it at the time, but it was, a, 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 I guess, a well-known school, the Catawars out of uh, Mississippi. I don't know if you're familiar with them at all. Um, they had a fight team even back then. And most people think of karate, and they think of, like, karate tournaments. You, you've probably seen, like, on, uh, what's that, the Ralph Macchio movie or whatever. Oh, uh, karate, karate Kid. Karate, karate Kid, yeah. Yeah, shows like that. These were different. These were more like MMA without being called MMA back in the day. Um, the, these guys were, uh, I guess, Kyokushin Karate. I don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. it. It was more of that style of fighting, even though it was tournament-based, so to speak. Um, at the time, I was young. Started around nine, but I, I think I took my first fight probably around 12. And there weren't a lot of kids that were fighting. There were a lot of kids training. It, it was real popular back then. And so I would always get p- paired up with these older kids or even adults, even at that time. And so it really, can we curse on the podcast? Fuck yeah, you can. <laughs> you, you may it, curse. So it, it, even though my mom put me in it to kind of bulletproof me, it actually made me more scared because I'm always fighting, fighting up. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing, you know, every weekend at tournaments, I'm seeing guys get knocked out or I'm getting hurt or getting kicked in the balls because, yeah. you know, there, there, there was no sanctioning or anything going on. This, this was just wild, wild west back yeah. in the day. Um, so fast forward that some, did that for years. Um, Went to college, and while in college, some of the fraternities on campus would actually put on, like, we called them barroom brawls. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the bar for I a weekend, it. they'd set up a ring in there, and they pay guys out to, to fight, and the winner takes the pot, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, it was supposed to be for a charity event, but you know, I don't know how much charity <laughs> was going on. <laughs> well, they gave some charity out, for sure. So, uh, you know, did that some in college, and pretty much, you know, I was done with, with fighting after that. Okay. Um, Fast forward a few years, I think I trained some, a little bit in my adulthood, but finally I moved to Dallas back in 2013, and there was an MMA school I would I would pass by kind of consistently, uh, going back and forth to work, and so one day I just stepped in and checked it out and decided to go ahead and try, try some training. Went in first, I think I was more attracted to jiu-jitsu, uh, even though I had this, this, market, this martial arts and striking background. Um, did jiu-jitsu for quite quite some time. One day, the coach there asked me to step in into a sparring class, and I don't I don't think he really understood my background in striking or whatever, and I did fairly well against his guys. Um, so fast forward a little bit further, and he's like, hey, I want you to help teach, coach, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, did that for some time, but found out that, hey, I wanted to be a student. I wanted to learn. I wasn't there to teach, so to speak. And I, I really didn't feel the pedigree to teach in the first place. Um, so we wound up having somewhat of a fallout over, over time over that issue because here I was paying to be a student but winding up being a teacher and not even being paid for that. Um, as a result, though, I, I decided to branch out, and I reached out to another school, uh, which was a Muay Thai school, and started training there while I was still 
training at the MMA school. I would uh, float back and forth, practice at both schools or whatever, but what, what would wind up happening was I'd learn stuff at the Muay Thai school, and I was like, oh, I'm teaching this. It, it just, it really sparked my brain. Martial arts in general, a lot of people like to say it's for nerds, and if you have a lust for learning, it, it's a great way to feel, feel that need. Totally. And so um, that's what I started doing. I, 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 would, I would go back and teach some of the things I was learning. And then also during that time, during sparring sessions or whatever, I was fucking folks up. So he's like, where are you learning this? Hell Everybody yeah. was like, where are, you, where are you picking this up? And I'm like, yeah, I go over here. I pick up a few things, that kind of thing. Not only are you fucking people up, you're also a nerd and a sparkling hoe. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thought you knew. <laughs> we're classy. We're, we're complicated, complex individuals in the in the MMA rooms. That's for sure. Very diverse. I've met uh, everything from engineers to you know weapons guys to sound people to you know you name it, man. That's the beauty of it. Is it's uh, when you go there, everybody's like first day. You're all new, so you get to learn together. And I think that's fun. Like something we don't do as adults enough is play together. Play together, learn together, try things, try this, try that. You know, that's the beauty of life is kind of figuring things out together. Yeah. Um, it, so you mentioned when you were you started picking up the Muay Thai and you were taking over and kind of showing the guys over there. Mm-hmm. And then is that kind of when you made your choice to kind of go more full on into Muay Thai? Yeah. So what actually happened is we, me and several other of my fellow students there at the school had a falling out with the coach eventually. Uh, several of us were in the same position. It's like, hey, here we are to learn. And we're not able to train ourselves because we're too busy teaching classes, that kind of thing. So I went ahead and made the tradition, the uh, transition rather, over to the Muay Thai school. Um, started learning there. Spent about a year, year and a half there, and pretty much the same thing happened. Um, I think at that time I was also teaching at title boxing, just a fitness class slash, but it was kickboxing, boxing, that kind of thing. And one of the students there asked me to basically help her with a kids program over at one of the rec centers here in Dallas. So that's when Dark Side Muay Thai basically started, or the foundation of it began. I began teaching kids there. I was also working at Title Boxing as an instructor, and I was still training over at, at, at this other Muay Thai school. My Muay Thai instructor, though, uh, didn't like the idea of it. I had spoken with that individual at that time and requested permission, was granted permission, started teaching. And I think because I I, I started doing well in terms of, I I, I can't say I think that, but the school started doing well. I'm like four or five months in. I've got students coming in, parents coming in. It's up and running. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I learned basically from my, my instructor that, hey, I'm not happy with this. You're not one of my fighters. My fighters don't even get to teach. Why should you get to teach? And I was like, at that point, I was like, this horse has already left the barn. I, people are dependent on me. I'm already up and running. Not only that, I also already teach at title boxing. It's like, I'm not seeing the issue here. Um, not that I want to displease you, um, but I, I wish you had said this on the front end. I didn't get that on the front end from you. In fact, I got your permission. So I had a falling out with that instructor. And in, in terms of Muay Thai, it's your relationship with your coach is a very emotional attachment. I mean, when, when I wound up leaving this school, um, literally it took me about a year to, to get over it. it. It literally was like the breakup of a marriage or the breakup of a, of a relationship in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, this is someone who, who you, you paid so much respect to who was such an integral part of your life. Um, so I really started to understand the relationship between athletes and coaches at that point because here I was poised with, I was placed in this position where I'm feeling it on the bad end now. 
Fast forward, um, probably about a year, I didn't train at all. And decided to go ahead and take it back up, stepped into a school. The school was actually the school that my instructor's instructor was at. Within two weeks of being there, he asked me to become a coach. There you go. There's your, there's your <laughs> let's, sign. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> well, it, it, again, I was like, I didn't want to, that's not what I wanted. I wanted to come learn. I wanted to, I wanted to be a student. But in, in so many ways, I feel like I was called to it. I mean, here I was trying to get out, and they pulled me back in. So Just when I thought I was out. So th- that's how I, I wound up becoming a coach, so to speak. So I, I have a question, and this – so I'm going to make sure I word this the right way because sometimes like, whenever I'm, like, explaining things, it makes sense in my head, but sometimes it might be perceived as, like, the wrong way. So we'll Don't take, worry, you can kick your ass if it's the wrong it's way. It's fine. It's true. So I am tall, but you'll probably kick my ass. So that has nothing to do with anything really. But okay, so we'll take whiskey for example. So like I'm a whiskey enthusiast. I wouldn't really call myself a connoisseur. I feel like that's like a a term like a term that's used loosely sometimes. So like I do enjoy whiskey, kind of like we were talking about before we got on here is uh, you know getting into tequila and other like mezcal. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when people are talking to me about whiskey or they're saying something or asking me a question, I kind of have like this uh, um, imposter syndrome whenever people are asking me certain things because I'm talking to them. I'm like, well, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to – I can't really get into like the complexity of like what it is. It's just like I know that I like it as far as like what's in it. I can kind of tell you but not too much. Do you ever feel like sometimes – whenever you were coming up into where you're at now and people were coming to you like, hey, can you want to be a coach? Do you want to do this, that? Did you ever feel like you were, you kind of had that similar like vibe, like you felt like an imposter or Absolutely. that imposter syndrome? I, I yeah. think it's something I've struggled with over the years. Um, actually gone to counseling for it. I think it's something that's prevalent in society and enough, spe- specifically guys don't talk about it amongst ourselves. Yeah, But it, it, it definitely has shaped and and um, led some of the paths even that I've been down as a result when it comes to coaching, um, but it, it's it's definitely been an issue. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's definitely something that I'm mindful of that I've worked to overcome. Um, like I said, I even went to counseling in reference to it, but at the same time, I, I also have to recognize we are not our thoughts. Mm-hmm. Imposter syndrome is is this random thought in the back of your head that seeks to diminish what you're trying to do in life. It it's mm-hmm. it keeps you from being the best you you can be, yeah. the best version of yourself. It's something I've really been been on about lately, be, becoming the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And so, in dealing with imposter syndrome, you you have to recognize that this is an enemy. This is someone you, who basically you're fighting. It is a fight, and you you deal with it consistently. You deal with it on a daily basis. It's always going to come up. No matter how good you are, no matter what kind of proofs you have to or validation you, you get from, from different people. Here I am. I've got one of the world-class Muay Thai coaches on the planet asking me to coach for him. And I'm dealing with imposter syndrome. And that's what kind uh, of mind fuck is that for you? Yeah, you get what I'm saying? Seriously. Yeah. Well, uh, doubt killed more dreams than effort ever did. You know, it, 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 it's something we, you know, that I think we deal with every day. Yeah. I always like to like talk. I always just like to talk about like little things like that. It's not really a little thing, but it, it could turn into something. It, it's absolutely a big thing, man. I, I, you know, I'm glad you brought it up because I know so many other people struggle with it. You know, um, 
I remember talking to a counselor once, and I brought it up to her. She didn't know about it, but she knew she suffered from it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay. Interesting. I can I can speak for myself as a as a barber. You know, when I first got in the business, when I graduated school and stuff like that, like I had I had the knowledge, but the no practical experience. And then I kind of had to like put on the, you know, hey, yeah, I got it, you know, I got this, yeah, I got you, I'll figure it out, you know. And you kind of had to like win people over with your personality and your conversation so that you could afford yourself the opportunity to learn. Yeah. And sometimes with imposter syndrome, it feels like you're just not giving yourself that time to learn. You People say, oh, well, you, you got the degree, so you're, you know everything now. And if you just don't subscribe to that, you just stay humble and say, well, yeah, I have the degree, but I'm still, you know, I'm just like you. I'm still figuring it out, so we'll figure it out together. Yeah. You know, and I kind of take that approach instead of saying like, yeah, yeah, I know everything. I'll just say, yeah, you know, I, I think we can get it. You know, yeah. this is what I think. You know, what do you think? We'll, we'll come up with a plan together. And just kind of having that humility and just being like, I don't know everything, you know, allows me to give myself the grace to learn. Yeah, for sure. You know, because a lot of it, like I said, you know, when I first met George, you know, I, I legit thought I was all right. Like, for real. I was like, hey, I'm like, I'm pretty fucking good, dude. You know, and then George comes over and he told me the truth. And, you know, you need that in life to to have somebody that can check you and say, hey, man, you know, you're doing this right, but you're doing this, this, and this wrong. Yeah. You know, and, and to be able to recognize that and try to learn. And, and George says I'm stubborn. And listen, my wife will confirm that. You know, I am very stubborn. I do things my way. I always have. It's been, you know... But as I've gotten older and I've realized, you know, hey, listen, you don't know everything, man. And there's people out here that this is their whole life. This is their passion. This is what they do. You know, George is watching videos, the things I've never heard of in Lumpini Champions. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. he's, so why would I neglect something that he's telling me? Because he wants the best for me. Because we spoke about the bond between trainer and coach. And I feel that. I, I trust George. You know, I know if I'm outside with George in the streets and somebody runs up on me and tries to hurt me, George is fighting. We're throwing down. And that, to me, is confidence in, in a brotherhood and a bond and a friendship that you don't get with everybody else. And that's part of the relationship that I like with the guys that I've, I've shared the mats with, shared the rooms with, is like, if I see you, man, I feel like you're a brother to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'll, you know, if something happens, I got you. And that's just some, that's a feeling that, you know, I think as we as men, we need because we're tribal. Speaking of the tribe, so I, I think one of the things it, it goes back to is very often in, in, Skill sets like this, skill sets like what you do as well. There's there's not a roadmap per se. There's not some validating authority who says, "Hey, you now are a Muay Thai black belt." That, that doesn't exist in Muay Thai. Maybe in Jiu Jitsu and, and different things like that. And so, as a result, it, I think it even leads more to the idea of the imposter syndrome when it comes to that. I think just about any field that isn't um, somehow organized and run by a authorizing body it leads itself to that but we we know it happens just about in anything so right and mas <laughs> mastery is just a constant pursuit right i mean you can never truly master anything because at the time you master one thing then something else might be lacking yeah that's about it comes down to balance so, so i like, mean that's with anything you know a, a lot of fighters deal with it you know even in fights like you you got guys who've won lumpini championships and literally they go home at night and cry themselves to sleep because they're dealing with imposter syndrome. They, yeah. don't, they don't believe they're a world champion, you know, those kind of things. So I, th I think it's also something that fighters in general have to overcome. Um, one of my coaches used to say fighters by nature are damaged. We, we, we come from, we're broken. 
so to speak. There's, yeah. there's something in us that's a little bit not right. I wouldn't not not crazy per se, but just something that that. You went through a lot of shit. They got a little of that Genghis Khan blood in them. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They might be that one out of ten, you know. And so, uh, you know, for me, I I think fighting has helped elevate my mental to to deal with stressors, to deal with, to overcome my childhood, things like that, being bullied. Um, So, like I said, it, it... Imposter syndrome is an everyday fight. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like talking about stuff like this, man, because it's like, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I will struggle with like, you know, just having these like random thoughts of like, oh, you're not good enough with like what you're doing or whatever, or just like these de- just demons inside my head. Yeah. And that's just like not like with the podcast, but it's like with everyday life, a whole bunch of stuff. So, and it's, I just feel like it's good to t- like as a man to be able to talk about stuff like this because like mental health is you know it, it, a massive issue I feel like let's talk about it real quick so I have a, a couple of questions for you George so whenever you have a fighter and he's and he's coming into a fight right and you know as well as I do that if you're not mentally prepared for that you're gonna get hurt right so how do you influence the guys and how do you keep their mental acuity sharp and on point the day of a fight the week of a fight leading up to a fight, how are we kind of building up their confidence as that phase one, two, and three hit, and, and you're getting into that zone where it's like, okay, we're not being nice anymore. We're actually letting our dark dark side out. You know, we're letting that that angry, you know, but we're, we're controlled, right? But you're, you're letting that darkness out in a, in a way. So I, how do I you... I like the way you did that. How do you the, unleash that, that the beast? <laughs> how do you unleash the beast? Um, I think there's levels to it. I think... <clears throat> One, the training in and of itself is rigorous, it, it, um, and it takes a mindset to go through it, um, do it every day, to put yourself in those positions, to sacrifice part of your normal life or your outside life, because it is a big sacrifice. You know, most guys who fight train six, seven days a week, multiple hours in a day, sometimes twice a day, three times a day, that kind of thing. And so that wears on your family, that wears on you, it wears on your work. Um, You'll probably notice that a lot of actual fighters find themselves working somehow in the industry or they work nightlife industry. They're they're bouncers or things like that so that they can allow themselves the time to train properly. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. And that's one of the things that imposter syndrome first kicks in on. It's like, am I doing enough in my regular life? You know, um... Is what I'm doing going to be able to to, to supply me with a, a decent life? That those kind of things. You know, most amateur fighters, all amateur fighters don't make money. Mm. Most pro fighters don't make money. It, it, this is not this is not a lucrative industry for your average fighter. Um, so I think that's the first part of it is is dealing with hey, I've chosen to put myself in this position um, in pursuit of excellence. I think one of the, the, the second things that we deal with when, when fighters go into camp or are in, in training also is um, relationships, uh, your woman or, and, and or your man. That can be a struggle because very often your mate does not understand what it is you're, that, that's driving you to do this. You know, they see the bills that need to be paid. They see this child that needs uh, help being taken care of. They see the things that are being neglected around the home. And so that creates, you know, a lot of, a lot of strife mm-hmm. in your, your regular life. 
and that bleeds over back into your training. Literally, while you're hitting pads, you're thinking about, damn, I didn't do the dishes. She's going to be tripping when I get home tonight, that kind of stuff. Um, so as a coach, again, I'm, I'm trying to remind my fighters, hey, you, you, you need to live a full life. You need to enjoy some of those things. You need to go out, and you're not in camp always. So you need to sit back and have that ice cream. You need to go out and enjoy that sunny day or, or whatever else is going on in your life, these people who are involved in your life and who care about you. Um, and probably the, the next level up, I'm, I'm, I kind of got away from your question, but it was in, in reference to how do I mentally help prepare my fighters? Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing will be the actual fight itself. I, I, I don't like my fighters to focus on their opponent. It's not about what they're going to do. I, I want you focused on what you intend to do. That way you're not, you're not coming out already on the back foot, so to speak. You're coming out, you're being, you're taking the lead. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, and I, I want my fighters to do that, not just in the fight, but in life. Um, choose your direction. Lead yourself into that that direction. Lead lead your family in that direction, whoever it may be, you know. So just before I forget, coming back to like what you were saying a little while ago um, about working for one of the, and this may show my ignorance, but one of the best coaches mm-hmm. in the world, in, in the, in the world, it's the Grace, Gracie? Is it, no. Uh, or, so I don't, I don't I don't know too much about the coach I'm referring to is Saxon Janjir. That's uh, right. Okay, in, I remember Ryan telling me about that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, here in Plano, ten, uh, I almost said Tennessee, Texas. So yes. Are you, wait, do you know anything I, about I, Tennessee? Yeah, I lived in Tennessee. I heard no he shit. Did. Oh yeah. man, here we go. There Nashville. we go. Wow. Here we'll part. We'll part with you. Here in. we go. Nashville, Memphis. Chattanooga area, no Cleveland, shit. Tennessee. Co- where else? Cleveland, that's where I grew up. For real? Yeah. I lived in Cleveland for no probably about shit. three, four years. I, I, I ran a foot action down in Cleveland. No uh, shit. Yeah. Wait, what year was this? Probably two, 99 to 2000, somewhere off in there. Okay, so that was a little bit before whenever I got there. So I, grew, I was born in New Orleans. I got dislocated to Tennessee because of Katrina. I moved there in 2005 and just moved to Dallas probably a little over two years ago. Why Cleveland? What? Yeah, it's, it's I know. Um, so my brother uh, at the time was with this with this girl, and uh, he had, has kids with her. And th- her parents lived in that general area. So, you know, we, we, went, we went down there and uh, we're up there, rather, uh, from Louisiana. And, uh, you know, Hurricane Katrina was just, like, crazy. So we were always used to, like, evacuating, coming back. And it was kind of like a last-minute thing. It was the day before the the, uh, the storm, and my mom and dad were like, okay, I think we, we should probably leave. Sometimes, Most of the time we would stay. Sometimes we would evacuate, just depending on what's going on. But uh, we left, and I never went back. So, I mean, I've literally I've been back didn't since. Back. Didn't move back. So, um, yeah, long story short, all because of my brother with his connection with his girlfriend and they live there. That's just random that you yeah. know about Cleveland, Tennessee. Not a lot of people do. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's where I spent my formative, formative years. So it's pretty, it's a quaint little town. <laughs> <laughs> to say it it yeah. is. Yeah. Yep. I didn't know Cleveland was in Tennessee. I thought it was in Ohio. I mean, that's where everyone knows Cleveland. I mean, you got Cleveland, Mississippi. I think there's a Cleveland, Texas, too, if I'm not mistaken. It also, I'm stupid, so there's it's a, probably not a true. There is so. Texas, you know what I mean? There is, yep. The, the, the audacity of Texas to have an Eiffel Tower. Like, what is... It's very true. Yeah. I think there's a Paris, Tennessee, too. 
Mm-hmm. It sure is. What the fuck? I'm surprised you even know there was a Cleveland, Mississippi. I, I lived close to it uh, once upon a time as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So. Well, so the re- the reason I know about that is like, so I have a big love for like, Mar- specifically Marvel comics. Really? Yeah. Ryan didn't so, share that with me. I so, too. well, I don't know if you, I, I ever really told you about that, Ryan, but so keep I- keep secrets from me, dude. Yeah. It's okay. It's, it's more than okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, growing up, uh, my mom would be like, hey, do you want to go antique shopping with me? And I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, antique shopping? What the fuck? Um, so she would be like, I'll buy you comics if we find some stuff. So that was her way of enticing me to like just spend time with her. So she's like, pay, quote unquote, paying me off. And, and looking back, it's like, those are actually some of the best memories I've had with my mom. And we would go to... You know, places in Louisiana, we'd go to Mississippi, and we had passed through Cleveland, Mississippi, so that's kind of how I'd, I'm aware of that city, but uh, yeah, I like started accumulating comics from random flea markets, antique shops, and stuff like that, because at the time, like, I mean, a dollar for a comic, and like, I didn't really know what I was getting at the time, but like, looking back and accumulating all that stuff, I'm like, whoa, I this is some good stuff. So I kind of got into actually grading my comics. I had action figures. I still kept in the box. If you were to walk into my room a couple years back, I actually sold all my stuff probably about like five years ago. You would walk into my room like, is this a 40-year-old virgin? Like, what's going on? Because I would have all the stuff all over the wall. And it was cool, man. I missed that stuff. kind of nerd out here for a minute? Yeah. Like, this is my car so- bed. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get a walkie-talkie so I can talk to other car beds. Yeah. Do you still collect? Uh, not as much... As I would like, because I'm so involved in like spirits and whiskey and stuff like that. So like I'm more of like collecting that stuff. Um, I do have a couple of things here and there. I got the, I guess my most quote unquote prized comic that I have is the first appearance of Carnage with uh, Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But man, I had every key issue you could probably think of when it came to specifically just Marvel. I would have some other things from like DC, Image, like Spawn yeah, as a big one. But I really wish I kept that stuff, man. Man, very similar, man. I think my first comic my my stepdad bought for me probably when I was in second grade. I knew nothing really about it. Literally, I cut the comic up just to cut Spider-Man out of the comic book so I could have my own little action. (laughs) You know what's... But started collecting as a result. So, yeah. Yeah. uh, And like you, I wish I had kept all those from back then. I still collect now, but I, I literally I've probably had three or four significant collections over my life yeah um and either have lost got rid of as a kid traded them out for action figures yeah uh, things like that so we went to comic-con when it was here one year uh oh really k bailey hutchinson center Mm -hmm. let me tell you it was it was really cool they had a bunch of stuff going on and there was an artist there and he had taken the comics like you said and cut them out and then he had taken corkboard and made it ventricular so he had risen it up to where like it looked like the Spider-Man was actually like coming up at you, yeah. and the buildings had like, you know, it was it was really incredible. And I asked him how long he'd spent on it. He's like, yeah, it was forty hours Jesus to God. do this small like little thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the artwork was incredible. Yeah. And then the best part about the whole thing, there was an eighteen and up Princess Leia thing. <laughs> so, so me and my wife naturally are like, let's go in here. We go in there, sold out everything, dude. Nothing left. It was just purged, man. All it was Leia's and R two D, everything you could imagine. Not crazy gross, but just like a yeah. play, like a Playboy, yeah, you know, classy, yeah. classy. 
but they were sold out, unfortunately. Yeah, I do miss I do miss that stuff, man. Because like, I, whenever I got older and you know I was a little bit more financially stable, I would I was buying the out of some stuff, mm-hmm. and everything that I would get, I would make sure the like the condition was great, and if it was good enough for me to be able to actually get it graded through the CGC. Which is are you familiar with that? Somewhat, yeah. Okay, I, you really nerding out on me now. I, yeah. I collect. I didn't go yeah. there. Enough. Okay, so because I would literally, gr- I would grade it because like if you grade it, it's like it's not gonna. Don't it can only go up in value from that point because it's encapsulated in a. I don't know exactly the material, but like it's a grade from one point zero to ten. Ten's like you never see that. It's like a unicorn, but like you would get like a nine point eight on a. a uh, Amazing Spider-Man 300, and if you don't know what that is, for everybody tuning in, is like the first appearance of Venom. So, like that, yeah. Well, I can talk about this show all day. So, yeah. <laughs> so, so George, it's what's your prize? Has so much in common like that. We, we, uh, tequila, comics, what else? <laughs> Cleveland, Tennessee. I know it's <laughs> random. It's very random. So, George, what's your what's your top comic of all time? If you could have, if you were like gonna pick your top, let's say like both you guys, your top three, if you could have them. Which comics would you want? Good question. I think mine was a Amazing Spider-Man. I think it was issue two fifty-two, the symbiote, the first appearance. Yeah. He was in the black uniform. Yeah, I don't have that one. That's one of my favorites. Um, what else did I really like? Um, Trial of Magneto. Ooh, um, good one. It's like X Men one ninety nine, X Men two hundred. Y'all really showing how much of a nerd I am now. You got me. I, calling I, I dig it, man. I love the artwork in comic books. It's absolutely incredible. As far as so top for me, that's a, that's a tough one. I kind of have to take some time, but like just off the top of my off the top of the dome, Amazing Fantasy fifteen, first appearance of Spider Man, yeah. classic. Um, I'm sure that's that's definitely in the six figures, if not seven, depending on the on the grade or whatever. But um, probably the first appearance of Wolverine. I can't remember exactly. I think it's Hulk one eighty one. Yeah, Hulk issue one eighty one is the first appearance of Wolverine. Big fan of Wolverine. Kind of sad that they, I don't know if y'all heard, but the uh, there's a writer's strike going on in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So they canceled Deadpool 3 because they brought Hugh Jack, uh, Ryan Reynolds brought Hugh Jackman back mm-hmm. to play Wolverine. And he's actually in like the yellow and blue outfit. Yeah. Have you seen that? I've seen some yeah. of the uh, clips for it, yes. Uh, have, have you seen that, Ryan? Oh, dude, it looks so cool. And I just found out yesterday that they're like stopping everything because of the strike. And I'm like, fuck. That's- but, uh, yeah, it's that sucks. But uh yeah, so Spider-Man, Wolverine. Um and then probably I had this issue at its, at at one point in time I sold it, but just coming back to Amazing Spider-Man 300. I mean, it's such a classic classic cover with like Spider-Man in the black suit. He's like kind of doing the I'll pull up a picture later so y'all can see it. I'm sure y'all have seen it. It's like a very like a lot of other comics do like an homage to that specific uh, cover. cover, yeah, because uh, Todd McFarlane, the creator of Spawn, was the one that actually drew that that cover and that whole issue, and he did a lot of stuff with Spider Man as well. But yeah, you are you keeping up with any storylines here lately, as far as like uh, in Marvel, <sighs> in not, the comics themselves? Not not really. I haven't I, really. It's there's so much information out there. It's just hard to keep up with everything. That, but. That's what I've been finding too. Is I've recently started reading again, trying to. And it's like there's just so much that is happening, taking place. Yeah. I don't, and so many different storylines, mm-hmm. all with the same characters. It's it, you know, it, it's almost confusing. Yeah, it's a lot. My young barber Alex got me into uh, anime because nice. yeah, he talks about it all the time. And I was like, let me let me check this out, man, because it was kind of behind me. I'm you know, I'm 39, so anime came a little bit behind me. 
And my brother was really into it back in the day. And I started watching Avatar. Yeah. Dude. It's so the, the Airbender or? The, yeah. Yeah. The Last Airbender. Yeah. And uh, it fir- first of all, it's great. It's got like Epictetus and Seneca quotes. And like it's quoting philosophy from like, you know, Greek philosophy. Yeah. And the graphics are incredible. The storyline's great. I'm like, I'm going to have Hunter watch this, man. She can learn life lessons through martial arts combat, you know, on, on uh, Netflix. Yeah. Another, another fun fact about me that you probably didn't know is that I was really into anime for a long time. Manga was my shit. I would go to Barnes & Noble and just get uh, you know, manga, you know what I'm talking about? It's just book form of anime. Okay. So, and the books were backwards because it was all Japanese. Um, and I would collect the DVDs. Dragon Ball Z was my shit. Back whenever VHS tapes were still a thing, um, Dragon Ball Z would like create box sets, mm-hmm. but on the outer rim of the VHS tape, it would like create like a puzzle. So I was always like going to Walmart trying to get the tapes and stuff like that because they were like five bucks. And I'm like, Mom, can I have 10 bucks to go get some tapes or whatever? But I love... I love well. I loved anime. I'm not really too much into it now, but I mean, it cu- kind of comes back to the like: Are you keeping up with a lot of stuff? Like for Marvel, it's like you know, anytime I go home and Courtney uh, and I are like, "Hey, look, what, what do we want to watch?" There's so much information out there. It's like I don't even know what to do. Like, mm-hmm. there's just so much shit to like tune into. It's like, what do I like? Yeah, it's long. Yeah, long story short, I, I like anime. So I'm with it. All yeah. right. Well, I guess we could wrap it up on this final question, if you guys think. Yeah. If you had to be a Street Fighter character for the rest of your life, which Street Fighter character would you be? Akuma. That was quick. That's my that's my shit, man. Street Fighter Alpha Three all day. I'm trying to remember. I'm thinking Street Fighter versus. I think I'm confusing the two. Street Fighter's got the guy in. He's got the long arms and the legs. Ryu Ken. That's me. How do you Ken? Yeah. The bald Indian dude, he's got the like the necklaces. Yeah, Dalsham. Yeah. Was there like a Bruce Lee lookalike on that one? Yeah, I think so. Uh was, yeah. There was uh yeah, Street Fighter Alpha Three. Jin Lee or something. Yeah, the white gi. I can't remember his name, but yeah, he's he's on there. Yeah. I would think that was probably him. Yeah, he's dope. Yeah. If you had to fight one person currently in the UFC, who would it be? Oh, wow. You're going to call me out like that? I'm going to call Damn. you out Look, like that. I've gotten in trouble on podcasts before about uh, talking about UFC fighters. <laughs> or I've gotten some other people in trouble. Who would I like to fight? It could be all time. Current or retired. I would probably say, for the fun of it, Anderson Silva. I had a feeling you were going to say Anderson Silva. Um, hmm. He definitely was, was one of my, my childhood favorites. Not even childhood, but adult favorites. Um, I think um, my fight style probably it, it was definitely shaped by him. So I would probably say Anderson. Just for the fun of it. I wouldn't fight anybody because I'll get my ass kicked. I would think you could. <laughs> I would put you up against like Mark Hunt. It'd be no big deal for you. I think. Uh, Steven Peterson. <laughs> no. Oh, Mark Hunt. Did you? You got that? <laughs> I just said Steven because maybe he, tied to a boss so you can handle him. Steven right? would kick my ass. He's really putting you up against uh, uh, the big boys. Huh? I'm giving him I don't some, even know who that is. I'm, who, give, who is I'm giving him some work. <laughs> who, 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 what's his name again? You can't you can't knock him down. His legs are like this big. I'm right. not going to knock anyone down in the UFC. It's uh, Mark, I can't Mark, fight. Mark Hunt, the Super Samoan. He was an so, OG pride fighter, like uh, fought UFC, fought all the big names. Just, he he sued the UFC, actually, too. Oh, damn. Uh, um, Brock Lesnar deal? I think so. It was over to Brock Lesnar. So uh, something else going back to mental health, concussions. Uh, I think Mark... One of the things that he, the issues he came with was that the UFC allowed Brock Lesnar to come in and they knew 
or they, he alleges that they knew he was roided up. As a result, Hell I think yeah. Mark, uh, during that fight, sustained some pretty bad damage and was concussed pretty bad, mm -hmm. I think, and um, suffered concussion issues for quite some time. And so that, that was part of what the lawsuit was about. I think. You know who gave me a concussion, but not really, was Rikishi from WWE, or is it WWF? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you don't know? Okay, well, never mind. Just, uh, it, yeah, anyways. So, How did um, you get a concussion? <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I don't even know where I was trying. I was trying to be funny, and I'm like, ah, this is not going anywhere. So, so just real I quick. was trying to do a room, or do a, 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 a WWE move in my room. Whenever I was watching Rikishi and I'm about to DDP but not really. your ass right now, dude. <laughs> Listen, um, so but real quick on the CTE thing, that's important to touch on, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, we should talk about that for a second, I think. Yeah. So CTE, like, it's not just from being knocked out, right? It's from all the training. It's repeated it, brain trauma is what, what I, I would say. It, it's it's not you're right. It's not just from being knocked out. It, think of like all the spar wars you go through. Think about how often you used to spar and get hit in the head. Yeah, his defense sucked. Um, <laughs> Damn! Listen, there's room. There's shots fired. Hey, man. listen, there's always room for improvement in everything. Okay, but the truth is, most people who who train regularly are taking damage every day in the gym. Yeah, for it's, sure. It, it, it literally, it is not always the fights that guys really get concussed in. It is regular training where a lot of things happen. Um, mm -hmm. And concussions, um, I think, are. I think it's a topic that isn't given enough attention. Um, in reference to recovering for fighters. I think enough fighters don't know enough about concussions to deal with them properly. I've suffered at least one or two myself, um, and mine was, was pretty traumatic. My last concussion probably was around 2021, and I actually went to Hawaii seeking out a spiritual healer to help me with my concussion. Interesting. Like, it was... Um, I wasn't trying to be insensitive with, no, no, with I, what I was saying a second ago. I get it, but CTE, you know, this is a real thing, and it happens all the time, and this is definitely something that should be discussed and talked about. I mean, it's prevalent in all sports, not just fighting. It's in football. It's, you yeah. get it from riding yeah. a jet ski. You yeah. know, we weaponize our bodies through training and working out and eating right and drinking water and all this, but very rarely do we pick up a book and weaponize our mind or at least think about the capacity of your mind and what you're capable of. Yeah. You know, your mind's your strongest weapon, so, you know, you need to protect it at all costs. And I think... Things like transmagnetic, like uh, cranial treatments, things like this that are mm -hmm. new, new treatments for fighters, for football players that have shown good results and helping people out with CT, I think are, are great. I've never even heard of that before. You know, That's interesting. I mean, you you look at a high school kid, and they're basically lobotomized by the time they're seniors if they played football. Yeah, you know, they they go through testosterone. Oh, you know, it's like yeah, you know, all that head trauma, man, in young, and I've definitely got it. You know, I was knocked out severely when I was fifteen. Uh, by an adult, I went to a party, house party, and I was like a local kid, neighborhood kid. The guys weighed me in, the older kids, you know. Mm. Guy gave me uh, some Everclear. I drank his Everclear. Oh, gosh. I drank his Everclear, and then the next thing that I remember happening is I woke up <clears throat> outside. Uh, I was on a driveway, and it felt like my head had been crushed. Like, I felt like my head was being run over by a car. Jesus. And uh, mind you, I'm like 14, 15. You know, I'm blacked out drunk. Yeah. Like, I didn't know what, what was happening. I just kind of trusted the guys, like, in my neighborhood. They would look after me. And uh, so I woke up. Um, I was falling down everywhere. I was like, you know how it is? You knocked out. You yeah. can't. You're balanced. That your equilibrium mixed with the off. liquor, too. I mean. Yeah. And, and the liquor and things. And I suffered that at a young age. And then. The guys came and picked me up. I think they pulled me to, like, another house, thought I was dead or something. I don't know where they took me, but it wasn't the, pa the party I was at because the door was locked. Yeah. 
So I got found by my friends. My friends put me in the truck. They take me to the house. And then the whole, like, all my people came over. You know, the whole neighborhood, dads, everything. People all walking around my roof. People walk around my house. Mm. And guys out looking for Pat. You know, so I don't know what happened. I don't care what happened. But it got handled. Well, I'm glad that you're here with us now. But so. to, to that point, you know, like head trauma, it's, it is a serious topic. And it does need to yeah. be discussed. And I think that, you know, I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. So, yeah, respect it's, to that. Um, and I would fight Brock Lesnar because I'd fuck his ass up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hell yeah. And the CTE will continue. <laughs> Come get some, Brock. Let's you go. You want this heat, dude? You fucking want the missiles? But uh, <laughs> listen, uh, George, brother, thank you for coming on, Coach. Always it's good to pleasure, see you, man. man. It's good please, to see you. Please beat this guy. Take him to the gym and just give him a sesh. You know, like put him, put him through the blender. Let him feel the pressure. I'm fine with that. I'll probably die, but it's fine. Put him in y'all, the mixer. Y'all should come and do a class. Cool. Um, yeah, I'll come do a class if you let me fire a leg kick at you full full go. He has <sighs> always wanted to kick somebody. I, I he you, wants me to get I my ass you know, kicked his, so hard. I do want to get his ass suck, kicked. Though I think you can take it. He, he so he's like, I'm gonna DDP <laughs> you, Diamond Dallas, page your ass. I just he's so big. I just want to treat. You remember those little stuffed animal wrestlers you had, like the little things yeah. with the flexes, yeah. little yeah. macho bands. That's how I think of you, dog. I was just like yeah. a human version of one of those. Yeah, I. You can handle it, bro. You got the. You got I'm sure the I could. Yeah. I need to get in. So sweep I the leg. So we're we're gonna end with this. We're gonna end with this. I know we said we were trying to end for s- seven times, when? but um, so I was in the bodybuilding world for about like seven years. Never really competed because I never really had an aspiration to do that. But I was always surrounded by like, um, you know, professional bodybuilders, powerlifters, stuff like that. And uh, I'm not really too much into that anymore, but. Like I was, so, I was so dedicated to just like making sure my food was on track, my water was on track. How much sleep am I getting? Okay, when I'm working out, what am I doing? I'm not just work going in there and just kind of fluffing shit around and just doing whatever. I I had a goal in mind just to get big and shredded, and like to be as tall as I am, six eight. It's like that's not very easy to do. And I was also I was natural. I wasn't like using steroids or anything like that. But I was working out with people that. We're doing doing so, and people. I was working out with people uh, alongside people that were at like Mr. Olympia. Rock was in the back room. Uh, yeah, getting his <laughs> so, ass whooped by me. Well, no, I don't know if y'all ever heard of uh, Dallas McCarver. I don't know if the name rings a bell, but he was in Mr. Olympia back in like the mid 2010s. Uh, huge motherfucker, crazy, crazy guy. He would come to the gym that I would go to, and uh, a lot of just crazy, crazy bodybuilders were coming there. And, um, like, I was – long story short, what I'm trying to say is that, like, I would work out all the time. My cardio was great. And now I'm just like, I'm fat as fuck and I'm young. I need to stop being a piece of shit. So, yes, I do need to come to the gym. Let's yes. do it. Let's do Got it. my invite. Come okay, through, cool. Let's, let's do it. I'll take you there. Let's go. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Another Until one. next time, y'all have a good one. Peace. Peace. Join us on the next episode of the Cactus Pit Podcast for a conversation with the king of Fort Worth, Brent Troyer. Fort Worth's hottest name in combat sports. Brought to you by Bearded Bastard Barbershop and Legacy Hi-Fi Studios.